Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 48. I am comic-aware Fox Kyle Gold. And I am uh, comic occasional reader Cam Hirosaki. Mostly when it's Star Wars. I was gonna say if, I was gonna say if you slap the word Star Wars on the cover, I'll read it. Uh, well, Kit and I recently returned from Comic Con where we had a wonderful time. Us and 150,000 of our closest friends. I did a few sign-ins at the table. I met the uh, wonderful and fun Arthur Husky. Oh. We were there with uh, let's see who else was there. Lovejoy Weasel was there. Uh, Zia McCorgie was there. I've hung out with all three of those gentlemen and But not all at the same time. Not all at the same time, that's true. In fact, I don't think I've ever been with two of them at the same time, even. It was uh, it was Zia's first time at Comic-Con. Uh, and uh, he was, yeah. It was, was very sore? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Was he trembling actually. and hesitant and then just exhausted and spent by the end? Well, he, he was very reluctant to come out from behind the Sofa Wolf booth at first. And then... Finally, well, he's the, so little, he might get lost and you'd never find him again. Well, well, they finally pushed him out, and then there was one booth that he really wanted to go to at the far other end of the hall, which was PS238, which is a comic that I've recommended. It's the Superhero Elementary School, which is okay. an awesome comic, and the creator is really, really nice. Aaron Williams, shout out. But when he finally made his way over there, he bought a ton of comics, and then he bought some more comics on the way back, and then he bought some clothes and some other stuff, and it was all just... It was very cute. By the by, the end of the con, he was kind of just sitting on the floor of the booth reading his comics. <laughs> it was very, very cute. Hi, Zia. I still remember when I was at a... This wasn't this year, but last year, when I was at a Sofowolf's booth at WonderCon, I was like, hold on, I'll be back in like 10 minutes. I just want to take a quick, you know run around to see what's here and then 10 minutes later i came back and i'm like i just spent 150 dollars oh yeah oh that happens yeah we'll have to i don't think we, we've actually you just kind of got here so we have to show you our uh yeah i haven't seen your trove you have not which usually takes the better part of an afternoon to go through it does um well we'll take a look a little later on also kit gave me some wine and i don't even know what it is and i'm just gonna try it now we're all holding our breath waiting he's making the Ooh, I like this face. Ooh. His little paws are twitching. Yeah. I thought it was a dessert one because of the glass. His little web daughter paws are twitching. It's not, it, it is good. He's regarding the glass now. It's from the downtown Los Altos the, uh, Art and Wine Festival. He's looking at the glass as though it's a clam he's just broken open on his stomach. <laughs> I'm a river otter. I don't think I eat clams. You would eat river clams. Are, are there river clams? I don't know, but if there were, you'd eat them. Uh, I would. I do eat clams. I mean, I just don't eat them from the ocean directly. Well, there you go. I, I get them fried up and put on a roll. <laughs> yes, we, at one of the one of the things we found out about at Comic-Con was shellfish core hip-hop, which I will have to introduce you to. Um, Is this like a SpongeBob thing? No. Oh. It's a Will Wheaton thing. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, a couple of the things we did bring back from Comic-Con we brought back for you. Oh. Speaking of, speaking of Star Wars. Oh, no. Oh, hey, cool. I have figurines. Now that I've actually finally started clearing out my new house, I can start putting up things to arrange. Oh, neat. Oh, wow. This is actually really cool. What, des- describe what it is for our listeners. 
So, what I have here is one of those, like, Kotobukiya figure model things. It's, this is a... Uh, this is a Clone Wars era Anakin Skywalker for those of you who are interested. And oh, yeah, we have like a whole little like, series of stuff here. Hey. Ah. See, you're already describing That's it better good. than I would have. That would have been like, it's uh. It's a dude with a laser sword. It's Anakin. <laughs> and uh, and we also brought back one more thing. Oh no. This means if there's two things, it's, it means the second one's going to be embarrassing. Well, I will say it's in a long cylindrical package. It's a poster. Not that long. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. Okay. Uh, oh, no way. Yee. I also now have a, 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 a replica of the uh, the 11th Doctor Sonic Screwdriver. That's the green one, not the blue one that David Tennant and Christopher Eccleston used, by the way. <laughs> oh, and it's spring-loaded, too. That's so neat. So I'm going to make a been, bunch of people jealous unless they already have it. See, it, it would have been a lot funnier if you hadn't told people what it was first and just said, oh, it's the green <laughs> one, not the blue one, and it's spring-loaded. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is you know I'm a huge nerd when I like you know immediately miss the sexual implications and go, oh, hey, it's the 11th Doctor Sonic Screwdriver. <laughs> oh. I think Kit wants to have it make noise. It does. Um... Yeah, so it was funny. There was a booth there selling some Doctor Who toys, and we picked up a couple for Fuzz Wolf, and then we saw that one there, too. And I assumed that he already had it or had a way to get it because it wasn't on his list of things that were exclusive. So, mm-hmm. Fuzz, if you don't have that, I'm sorry. But we I, got you some other nice stuff, which is in the mail. I can't believe that Fuzz Wolf wouldn't have the 11th Doctor <laughs> Sonic Screwdriver. I will take your word for that. Anyway, Comic-Con was a lot of fun. Um, so forth, is going to have a huge party there next year because they're going to have the Blotch Comic ATI. Uh, they're going to have a couple other things, I think, but that's the main one. Uh, the Ursula Vernon's Digger comic, which is a charming and delightful little comic, is going to be wrapping up next year. So Okay. Yeah, I totally missed that Digger Volume 5 had come out. Yeah, they... Uh, yeah. They missed one year, but I think they've done one a year for the last couple. And yeah, next year should be the the sixth and final. Because like yeah, like I saw like a picture of the cover, and I was like, oh, like that. I totally missed that. It's an amazing cover. I mean, one of, that's that's just like a beautiful series of books. In that the covers are so consistent, they're clearly part of a series. Yeah, and the covers are also gorgeous. I mean, yeah. the, the black and white art is really pretty. But the covers are just amazing. Yeah, the, the the graphic design of them is actually really nice. It is. Shout-outs to Brayer at Soulful for his... Uh, oh, is he the one who does those? Yeah, he does, oh, okay. the, he does the layout and puts them all together. Yeah, for some reason, I always just figured that she did that herself. <clears throat> um, as far as I'm aware, Ursula does very little in the production of her own books. Okay. She just likes to do the art and the story and, you know, mm. have it out of her hands. That's cool. But she's cool. They're hoping that she will come out there next year as well. So could be kind of crowded but it would be a fun party so if you if uh any of y'all out there were kind of regretting not making comic-con next year would be the year to do it well while you were at comic-con i was splashing around in a pool all day that sounds awesome too actually (laughs) i Um, found out that uh my uh my own basketball playing skills are not all up to snuff at least not while i'm submerged in water and can't really jump uh (laughs) that would that would kind of put a damper on things Oh, I see what you did there. And yeah, I'll have to confess to to B-Hop that maybe my basketball management skills are better than my basketball playing skills. You don't have the hops. 
Um, I have stubby little legs and this is true. webbed feet. This is very true. Uh, and yeah, the last postscript from Comic-Con was that the Penny Arcade guys came over to the booth. Uh, and, yes. Um, and apparently what uh, what Tycho wanted to see was uh, what's the... <laughs> What's the weirdest stuff you have? Or what he said, I think he said, like, what's the worst stuff you have? And so gravitated right to the adults only section, and hence in his Penny Arcade write up on the Monday after Comic Con mentioned gay bipedal foxes having sex in a medieval castle. Yes. Which I can only imagine as a reference to my work. I, I would hope so. Otherwise, somebody is trying to one up you. Yeah, and I don't know that there was any anyone else at I was, the Sofa Wolf table like that. I was amused that in his like description of that, he's like, my mind literally like cannot conjure up that mental image. And I'm thinking, like, I, I can't not think about things like that most of the time. <laughs> but it was a very nice write-up because he said, you know, I can't hold that image in my head, but I've considered that a failing on my part. Yeah, and he's just like, eh, not my thing, but hey. It right. wasn't like trolling or lol furries. No, it was very cool. Yeah. He was he was cool, and uh, they were right across from Scott Kurtz of PPP, who mm-hmm. um, we were told has a checkered history with gay people and furries, but who was actually, That's a nice in phrasing it. limited interaction that we had with him, was very nice, very sweet guy. So, and uh, we were right next to Tiny Monster Teeth, I think is the name of the, oh, okay, yeah. of the collective or the artist. It's like the Monster Milk Collective and Tiny, uh, Tiny Kitten Teeth, sorry. Okay. Monster Milk and Tiny Kitten Teeth is the artist. Um, but they were all very nice people, too. And then behind the Sofa Wolf booth was a toy manufacturer who was, we found out after the show, a little put out because he'd been moved from his regular location. But oh. Anyway, it was a fun show. Um Glad people had fun back here while we were away, and we are back and run our regular podcast and schedule again. And as people noted, we're coming up on our 50th. This is 48, so we have a couple to go. But uh, if any of the listeners out there have suggestions for what we could do for our 50th episode, send them on in. We've we've had one listener suggest that we'd make 50 blowjob references. Um, I'm not certain that we could come up with that many, although we could maybe come up with 50 terms related to blowjobs. Yeah, that'd be a bit too similar to what we did for NotCast. Yeah, that's so. true. Um, and we also, I think it was the same listener actually who suggested that uh, we put together kind of a clip show of our favorite clips from the past 50 episodes. But um, <laughs> Kit says that if we can get a sound at an intern in here to work on that, then we might be able to put it out. But otherwise, we won't have the time. I'm trying to imagine interning in our mountain bunker. It doesn't sound like a fun thing. Oh, I think it would be a very fun thing. Well, if me and Kit didn't drink all the wine ahead of time. That's true. We have plenty of Coke Zeros, though. Well, they need them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... Lastly, we're coming up on our Rocky Mountain FurCon live show. Yes. We tentatively have a room for that weekend, which will be Saturday at 9 p.m. I understand that the live from the Hop-In folks are doing their show Friday night, so hopefully there will be no podcast conflict. Wouldn't want to get into a war with Rifka. Um, oh, we could take him. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, <laughs> wouldn't want to. There's a lot of things I could do that I don't particularly want to. And we'll let your mind go there for a little bit. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun. We've we are putting together our uh, pyramid game show. 
Yes. We're having fun with categories. I had to record a couple episodes off of the Game Show Network last night to uh, show Kit because he was not familiar with Pyramid somehow. Really? Yeah, I know. Like, I was watching episodes of it off of YouTube just to remem- like refresh myself how the round system went, but, I mean, I remembered. It's- oh, yeah. Yeah. But he did at least agree that it was entertaining, so it wasn't like he saw it and was like, wait a minute, we're doing this? What the hell were you people smoking? We'll get our own 70s B-list celebrities. <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, the celebrities are going to be us. Yeah, so I, I guess works. I guess we count as B-list. Yeah, I wonder who our celebrities are. Oh, wait. I think it's me. <laughs> um, that's a that's a reference out there. But, uh, yeah, so we'll be the celebrities. We'll grab a couple people from the audience. We're trying to figure out how to select the people from the audience. Uh, we'll either do it there at the show, just kind of at random, or we'll have people put their names in a hat. Uh, you might be able to sign up at the Sofa Wolf table, and we'll draw names at random. And then we're going to have some fun. We've got the templates. I think we're going to need a projector. and uh, uh, Let's see. Kit will run it. And I think we're going to need one other person to be the judge, but we have someone in mind for that. However, if someone's going to be there and wants to volunteer, let us know. I was going to say nepotism always works, too. And bribes. And, Just uh, don't get me too too drunk, or like whoever gets me on their team won't win. I'll, I'll be bringing many cases of wine. Although we switch off, don't we? Well, traditionally we would, but I think we're only going to do the one round and one winter circle, just for time limitations. Okay. I, I will say that it's something that, if it turns out to be fairly easy to do, like if it's just a matter of, you know, we have a template and a projector and we just have to write the stuff ahead of time, we have enough people who know the show that we could definitely get some other, enough that we where we could do this another time, rain first or further confusion or something. Yeah. Kit's making buzzing noises over there. I think you finally got your little oh. toy working. <laughs> oh, here's my my spring loaded sonic screwdriver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. You're so adorable. Uh. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, he's wriggling like a happy otter. It's so yes. funny. This is so neat. Now I gotta get somebody to dress up like River Song for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the little spring loading action got it is actually really fun. <laughs> I could amuse myself with this for hours. I gotta put it down now. You could. Um uh, Yeah, Husky Husky was carrying his around with him, which was very entertaining, but then we figured we had to go get one. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, we'll also have a surprise at the Rocky Mountain Live show. We're not going to talk more about what that is, but um, it will be quite spectacular, I have to say. I've seen preliminaries of it, and it's going to be pretty cool. Do I know what this is? No. That Ah, oh, you're not making me want to get on that plane to Denver, guys. <laughs> Don't worry, it won't be another Unsheathed Presents number four. I already did that. Yeah, we already did Unsheathed Presents number four. And we number did. five. And five. Five was out last week. Five Alive. Oh, do you remember Five Alive? Yeah. 
Wow. Very vaguely. Speaking of things from the 70s. Speaking of five, there's a Five Guys burger coming to town. Yeah, people were talking about that like all like last week, and I was just, I've never been there. Yeah, we'll have to go. I, I've I never been there. I was like, going to go out and get some Five Guys, and my brain always just goes, what? <laughs> that sounds like a story out of right. <laughs> yeah. So, we should get to some questions. We're going to try to get through a bunch of these um, so that we can clear out our backlog, which is like, 20, 20, yeah, 20, yeah. 30 questions, something like that. You people keep doing what we tell you and writing in. Dang it. We have a lot of unfamiliar names in this one, which makes me happy. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to pick some of that weren't the, the usual suspects. There's actually, I believe, not a Candrel email in this. <laughs> I know. That was the first thing I looked for when I saw how many emails we had. Well, I would think that would be the first thing you'd look for when you saw the one that was nearly an entire page. <laughs> Sorry, Candrel. We love you. Um... So, you want to start? Sure. Go right on. Dear Mr. Gold and Mr. Hirosaki, I have a question for you. How do you keep your characters from becoming perfect or overpowered without it being obvious? I know it's a bit of a tough question, because the very definition of overpowered changes according to the problems the character has to overcome and the challenge to the character. I have a hard time making characters without looking back and thinking that the character is too perfect, or their flaws just seem out of place, or don't have much relevance in the story, so the character may as well not have the flaw at all. Also, I have just recently got serious about writing and want to improve. I've always read and written a lot through the years, but comparing my works, there hasn't been much improvement. I was thinking about focusing more on writing-based courses, uh, but it would cause classes for my other career choice to be dropped, making a difficult choice evident. For either class choice, my time work on the other would drop dramatically. I know that I won't be able to easily learn the other trade, whichever I pick. So in essence, the one I choose will likely be my career. My question is, can you make a decent living in writing, at least enough to warrant it as a legitimate career path? Thank you for reading this and helping my motivation for writing with your podcast. Regards... And is that Robin DF1? I'm guessing? That's, that's how I read it. Yeah, yeah, that's how I'm reading it. To answer your second question, uh, no, don't try to make a living off of writing. Well, <laughs> I will well, I will sort of amend that and say you are far less likely to be able to make a living off of writing directly out of school than you yeah. are with whatever your other trade is, unless it's like designing stained glass windows for medieval churches or something. Yeah. But... Um, like Kyle is one of the you know best you know performing furry writers, and he has a day job, and I don't think he's going to be quitting that one anytime soon. So no, and uh, I go back to John Scalzi, who I follow. He's the vice president, or now the president, maybe of SFWA, Science Fiction Writers Association, and he said at one point a couple years ago that he makes a living off of writing now. But it took him 10 years to get to the point where that was comfortable, and he had a spouse supporting him the whole time. Yeah. And he lives in Ohio, which is pretty cheap. And so, you know, if you have a situation where you can live with minimal expenses, if you can live at home for the next 10 years without being too stressed about that, and if you really want to dedicate yourself to your writing, then it's very possible that in 10 years you could be making um, – Thirty, forty thousand dollars a year at your writing, which would be enough to kind of get by. But there's the number of writers who make a an enviable, I would say, living off of their writing. You can, without having a partner to support them, um, you can pretty much count on the racks at the airport bookstores. Yeah, I mean, if you look at you know 
count how many published stories I have in various anthologies, you know, like Heat and Fang and X and whatnot, and I probably got somewhere between $30 and $50 for each of those, and that's been over, like, a period of, like, five years. So, yeah, not it, do, it, it doesn't even really work as supplemental income. It's more just, like, a nice icing of, on the cake of, hey, congratulations, you got published. Oh, by the way, here's a paltry sum of money. Here's some money. You can go out to dinner. Yeah, and, like, you know, people ask me, it's like, oh, like, you do writing. Like, that must be, like, a nice little, like, you know, like some, like, extra, you know, like, cash on the side. And it's like, if you parcel out how much time i spend writing and do it like on an hourly rate how much money i make no no it isn't and and the explanation is i don't do it for the money yeah it's people just, in yeah people in china people in china working in factories make more per hour than we do uh so to get to your other question because the first I, I i set up the first few emails to all be all about characters here um i'm gonna hang on a second because kid is scribbling a little note that i think he wants to add to the conversation he says, there are many other benefits of writing, which is true. Um, you, you, can, uh, you can get on a podcast and people will listen to you week after week for, mm. for whatever reason. Um, people bring you bottles of wine when you do live podcasts. They, they bring you bottles of wine. Um, Sometimes and you can sleep with people if you have no morals. <laughs> or if you're just a slut. <laughs> I like how your screwdriver popped when you said that. <laughs> You see um, what I did there. The uh, the other thing is, I mean, one of the one of the best things about writing for me is getting an email from people who take the time to tell me how much they appreciate the books and how much books have meant to them in one context or another. Um, I got a re- I, and and I get these fairly not like frequently, but you know, it's once a month is pretty regular. Someday I'll have a book, and I'll know what that feels like. Um, but I got someone who I got an email from someone who said that uh, out of position helped him regain hope after he sort of lost a relationship, and that was kind of cool. I mean, I know I think you showed me part of that one. Yeah, it just it's just neat to put something out there that makes a difference in people's lives, and that is something that you that conversely is much harder to get in whatever trade you're thinking about. I mean. From, since you're talking about it as a trade, I'm kind of thinking of it like, you know, building computers, building software, building, you know, engineering, something like that. And you can be part of something that makes a big difference. Uh, I have a friend who works, uh, who used to work with uh, Boeing on some of their airliner projects. And, you know, you can say, well, I was part of a team that did this, that made these airlines safer, that made a difference in the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. But it's much more direct to have your story out there and have people write to you and say, hey, you wrote this story and it affected me like this. Yeah, I don't get a lot of the, oh, you changed my life correspondence, but I do get stuff like, oh, wow, I really empathize with the situation you wrote about. And I get a fair bit of, thank you for writing stories that have a plot that isn't just, let's meet for the first time, have sex and fall in love. <laughs> Which I not don't write that, that a lot at all. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with I know, that. I know, I know. I'm teasing. But, I mean, and, and I have written that before, but. So, anyway. I don't need to keep writing it. The benefits, the, the, the sort of summary is the benefits of writing, the non-monetary benefits of writing generally outweigh the monetary benefits. If you are, if you are in a situation where you can care for yourself financially some other way 
uh, if you have a partner who works, if you have a family that can support you and is generally supportive of your right. And in other words, if you're going to live at home for 10 years and your mom's not going to knock on your door every day and say, are you going to look for a real job? You know, then, this, you know, by all means, go ahead and... <laughs> Unsheathed does not endorse living in your mom's basement for 10 years to write furry porn. Why not? <laughs> well, if you can get away with it. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying if it's a supportive environment. If it's not like, honey... Why are you? Why are you? Put not down your yiffing and come upstairs for dinner, <laughs> Mom. I'm trying to write furry porn. <laughs> Shout out to Clawcast, <laughs> Mom. I'm writing about the vixens again. Anyway, well, so so there you go. That's speaking our views of, on writing. Speaking of character flaws, <laughs> speaking of character flaws, um, generally the. When you're thinking about a character and their flaws, the flaw should be relevant to the main conflict of the story. Yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to think of a of a good example because I haven't prepared one. I'm but, trying to think of like what's something that a lot of people will have read. Yeah. I'm. I was going to be like, oh, The Great Gatsby. And then I'm like, probably not a lot of people who are listening well, to the show have read The Great Gatsby. Maybe uh, a lot of them have, but... And Harry Potter's not a... It's one that probably everyone's read, but... His, he doesn't. He doesn't really have a flaw that's exploited through the conflict. Yeah. The conflict is his, his main. His main flaw is just that he's young and inexperienced and ignorant of what's really going on. But you can look at Voldemort, and Voldemort has a flaw which is exploited throughout the books, which is he doesn't understand how people can care for each other right. because growing up he never had that, and that becomes essential to him because or an essential flaw of his because it consistently causes him to underestimate what Harry and his friends will do for each other he understands that these bonds exist but he does not empathize with them and that ultimately leads to things like um, I just went through book 7 again so things like the Malfoys betray him at the end right um People and and it's not just the Malfoys. People who should be loyal to him do not because he. Uh, I'm not going to give out the spoiler for book seven in case there's people out there who've not read it. And the movie hasn't come out yet. I know there's people that just watch the movies, but they're you know one of Voldemort's people who he thought was completely loyal to him betrays him because Voldemort does not understand these bonds. Right, and that. More than the story of Harry, Harry's kind of just the person who moves through the story and catalyzes all the changes that go on. Um, Because Harry, and the reason that he's good is because he went through these terrible times already. He wasn't, he was specifically, you know, sent to this orphanage so that he would grow up without pride, without arrogance, without all of these things that would be counted as flaws, which Voldemort had. So, I mean... The the piece of advice I'd give you is when you're thinking about your character and you're making them too perfect, a lot of times that's because we sit and take the time to think out what is the right thing for them to do at every turn. Right. Um, think back on mistakes you've made. Mistakes you've made because you didn't know enough information. Mistakes you made because you got carried away in the moment. Um, mistakes you made because you believed someone who was lying to you and you didn't know they were lying or you didn't think they could be lying. Um, mistakes you just made because you took a chance and it didn't work out. Yeah. And 
give your character some of those mistakes. Give your character that emotion, that tendency to overlook things. Yeah, and I was going to think, you know, <laughs> I need to have like a little special sound effect we can edit in here, which is the, not to bring up Star Wars again, but um, while you were talking about that, like, I was thinking of, you know, like Han Solo, you know, one of those characters that, you know, everyone sort of already, you know, knows and whatnot. But if you look at him, you know, like, you know, he's snide, you know, he's arrogant, he's overconfident. And if you look at sort of, you know, especially in the arc for, you know, The Empire Strikes Back, which everyone knows is the best Star Wars movie, um, you know, that's one of those things where, like, you know, he's a good guy and he's capable, but, you know, he does, you know, have these, you know, pitfalls and you know ultimately it does sort of lead to his temporary undoing so like something like that and that doesn't mean that han solo is not like a badass because he is but you know he's tempered by you know the fact that you know that he's not just a one-dimensional character right so there you go hopefully that helps well um let's move on to the next one this is actually from new who's a guy that i met at comic-con very nice guy he writes Hey guys, I have finally started writing something. This is the first time I've written anything creative outside of a classroom, and even then it was years ago. I do have a question regarding characters. I have a feeling that most authors get character ideas from not only themselves, but people they know. As I was starting my story, three of the four characters introduced already are based off myself and two real-life non-furry friends. I know that if I were using another person's original character, I would have to ask for permission. But since these are real people I'm emulating, to an extent... Do you think I have to ask for permission? They're friends, and I doubt they would mind, but still, would asking just be common courtesy or what? I don't want to be rude, though I honestly doubt they would know if I didn't tell them about it. Thanks for your time. Keep up the great work all around. Newfer. Well, I would ask, how closely are you modeling them after real people, and are you naming them after real people? Yeah, I, I think in general it sounds like he's just saying... Um, this character is kind of like my friend who's like this, and this other character is kind of like my friend who's like this, which is another great way to introduce flaws into characters is, mm. you know, you just say, this is like my friend. He always pays too much, or he lets other people get away with things. Or, or he always talks about Star Wars. Or he talks about Star Wars <laughs> all the freaking time, like it's some kind of great work of Western civilization or something. Or he criticizes his friend who talks about Star Wars all the time. Or he's a literary snob. Or he's a rat who hacksaws things to pieces. Hirosaki, I think, is stunned by my cavalcade of people with flaws who are all based on friends of ours. There we go. See? Um, if you're using... Yeah, but the short version is if you're using your friends for inspiration, but the characters aren't supposed to be them, and you're not, like, coping wholesale from their real life, and you're not, like, calling them by their real name, then no. Like, you don't need yeah. to. You don't need permission for that. Now, if you're writing a story with a fox named Kyle and an otter named KM who are furry porn writers and do a podcast, then you would need to ask yeah. us for that. Because but if you did, then yeah. Then, if, I, th th then does it become libel? <laughs> I don't know. But if you're just writing a story about a couple friends who are writing and you kind of take the personalities the way we interact and you put that in there along with some other stuff of your creation then uh, you know i probably shouldn't even be giving our listeners these ideas should i i was um, thinking like here's this wet ferret who writes porn his name is jk mitsubishi <laughs> <laughs> and he can't stop playing with his sonic screwdriver 
<laughs> he won't shut up about Star Trek. Is <laughs> that what the kids are calling it these days? So, yeah, short answer, no. Um, but that is a good way, again, going back to the first letter, that is a good way to get flaws into your characters, I think. If you yes. look at your look at your friends and, you know, we all have flaws. And hopefully by the point where we're writing stories like, you know, in college or just out of college, you're starting to become a little more aware of what your flaws are and what your friends' flaws are. And you can just put your friends. Yeah. It helps make them more well-rounded people. So moving on to our next letter. Hello, studious fox and writerly otter. And a friendly tail wag toward any special guest you may have. I think the special guest is my sonic screwdriver. I've been catching up on my quota of furry podcasting, and I've recently added the Omnipresent Notcast to my repertoire. In a recent episode, they pointed out a YouTube series done by Red Letter Media, ha that I particularly enjoyed. I knew you'd like that. Curiosity peaked and boredom blooming, I decided to check it out. Red Letter Media is most popular for his harsh critiques of the Star Wars prequels. And while the entire business is done tongue-in-cheek, I do feel his evaluation of the writing qualities of the films are quite astute. His primary critique of Episode One is that the story really lacks a protagonist. George Lucas sets up a widely complex tale featuring as many as ten prominent characters without any of them really playing a leading role in driving the story along. Whereas in the original trilogy, there are definitely other characters that the audience has vested interest in, but Luke is definitely the protagonist, and he's the one we care about. Now, I know Kyle, for instance, you tend to use one or two characters that you could call protagonists, and you write from their perspective. But I've not read a novel of yours where you have more than one that, though admittedly I've not read Bridges yet. Oh, I've not read a novel where you have more than that. And you Hirosaki-san seem to favor writing from the perspective of one protagonist. Though Rikoshi in his novel Thousand Leaves wrote from many perspectives with success. Well, Summerhill only has one protagonist, I'll say that. Um, this led to my question for you far more experienced writers. From a writing standpoint, when, there are too, when are there too many protagonists? There are definitely stories where there are more than one leading character, but what separates a successful writing example compared to others? <coughs> George Lucas <coughs> may have failed. Where exactly is the line where the audience begins to lose interest in a protagonist? <laughs> Love the podcast. Thanks for making my morning train ride so enjoyable. Your loyal listener, Fulf Star. Well, I think uh, not to not spend too much time on this, I did want to let you read that for the shout-out to the Red Letter Media. I thought you'd enjoy that since you talk about them all the time. Um, and... Uh, just to go kind of quickly, I think it depends on the story. Yeah. And it depends on how integral the protagonists are to the story. I've read stories where people switch around protagonists just because they're like, oh, but then I need to show what's going on over here, but this is the only person who knows that, so I have to show it from their point of view. And you're like, why am I in this character? But on the other hand, I've read big sweep and fantasy epics where you get points of view from like five or six yeah, different characters. I was thinking like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And yeah. you're engaged in all of them. Yeah. And if you can carry that out, I mean, generally the longer the work, the more protagonists it can support. Right. Because you're telling more stories. Yeah. If the complexity of the plot is such that it can support, like think of the plot as like a net and you know, the, the wider and more sturdy the net, the more it can hold. Right. But you also don't, if you, if you're doing a shorter work and you're trying to jump between protagonists, you're going to shortchange some of the character arcs. Yeah. So, in general, make sure that each of the protagonists has 
something of a defined character arc yeah. in the story, or at least an integral part of the plot to carry. Yeah, and as with all things, aim for quality over quantity. Exactly. It's better to have one or two characters that are really well-defined and interesting than ten characters who are all just kind of eh. Yeah, and since you're asking, I'm, I'm assuming that you have like a bunch of characters that you want to talk about in your story. I would focus down on one or two and uh, just tighten it up. Yeah, because I mean, you're allowed to have side characters. Right. Oh, and another another thing. Thank you, Kit. Um, one of the exercises that we went through in our writing workshops is, as you're going through drafts, you can combine characters. If there's characters that have similar arcs, maybe they can be just one character in your story. Yeah. Movies do this uh, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Especially, like, if you think, look at, like, adaptations of the Arthurian legend, where right. there are, like, just dozens of characters. It's like, you know what? These three people are one now. Like, yeah. Boom. Yeah. Like, you serve the same purpose, you pretty much have the same personality, you're the same character. Yes. So, that's another useful exercise to do. You know, it sounds weird to think of, like, well, this person is this, and this person is that, and they're different. Well, how could they be combined? Well, choose one of the two characters and see if you can fit all of the pieces of both. Yeah. And it may require adjusting and tweaking, but hey, like we say, you don't get into this business because you don't go back and change things. We'll make, we will make you do it. And with that, I think we're going to cut it off for this episode. Thank you for the listening. And write to us at unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on FA and Twitter. I am Kyle on FA and Kyle Gold on Twitter. And I am Cam Hirasaki on FA and Twitter and LJ. And we hope to we hope to see you next year at Comic Con. And until then, we leave you with <laughs>